0: Welcome back to the Marvel Movie Minute, a daily podcast in which we dig in deep to analyze the films of the Marvel Cinematic Universe one minute at a time. I'm Andy Nelson from TheNextReal.com. And I'm Pete Wright, also from TheNextReal.com. We are back talking about Jon Favreau's 2008 film, Iron Man, where it all began. Today, we're digging into Minute Four, which kicks off with The Death of Jimmy and ends with Tony. Looking up into the light.
1: Oh, oh, Jimmy. Oh, Jimmy, Pete. Jimmy, Jimmy, Jimmy. He made uh, the, the bad
0: call. He chose poorly. <laughs> he has chosen poorly. Didn't he hear her say, contact yes, left, contact, contact left. left. And I have to say, the amount of bullet holes that appear in the side of the door uh, a lot of those are where Jimmy was standing.
1: <laughs> yes, right in a row, like all of them in a row. So we have to imagine Jimmy is Swiss cheese at the bottom of the at the base of the car. Uh, but also, Andy, interestingly, uh, Tony is unaffected by the Swiss cheese of bullet holes in the car. How did how did that happen?
0: He uh, I feel like he's going to have a Julius moment <laughs> from, from Pulp Fiction. <laughs> like, How did that happen? Yeah, <laughs> that is such a good comparison.
1: It took me a second. You're totally right. It's a Julius moment, and uh, and, and that's okay because he it, it catches up to him.
0: It is, and and you could say this film is his Julius moment. Right? He's going to the whole film. Right? He's <laughs> right. going to go on his journey to uh, what is it that Julius wanted to do? To go walk the the roads like uh, the character in uh, Kung Fu. Kung Fu. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah. This is Tony Stark's journey.
1: It, it is, and so he. What happens to Tony here? Just in terms of of blocking, he gets out of the truck and he starts running a bit and he gets thrown and he's he lands behind a rock and he picks up his fancy cell phone. And we haven't talked about that cell phone, but the cell phone has a screen that pops up and turns sideways uh, oh, so, yes. <laughs> so that you can you can do your video chats and landscape. And my goodness, if that technology had won the world. Uh, but then he doesn't get a signal because Afghanistan and uh,
0: he... Is it sees- Afghanistan or is it timing? <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> Noted. Noted. That's a fair point. And then we have uh, a bomb that lands right next to him. And we have that crash zoom into the logo on the bomb and it says Stark Industries. Now, I say all that real, real fast, because I have to, we have to talk about the deleted scene. Can we do that? Is it too soon to do that?
0: No, I think we should do that. And then we can talk about uh, kind of all the rest of that stuff. Yes.
1: So the deleted scene uh, that was included in special features, I guess,
0: was that where it was? It was, yes.
1: So he gets out of the out of the truck, out of the Humvee, and he picks up a gun and he goes completely badass and he starts trying to shoot, but the gun is jammed. He can't get the gun, so he throws the gun down. He's looking for more ways. He turns and he, he's hiding behind the the Humvee and he's yelling at Roadie, who's manning the big machine gun on the back of the Humvee behind him. And Roadie's saying, "Get down, get down." I mean, it's a full on war zone, and this absolutely contradicts my. Impression uh, from last episode, I believe, when I said, "Isn't this interesting to see a guy the to have that fish out of water experience where you have this guy who is shocked by the explosions and the war going on around him, and he's in a suit with his fine brandy glass, and um, and and then the world falls apart, and it looks like he's shocked." This deleted scene uh, really portrays Tony Stark as a complete badass. He is, uh, you know, somebody who's trying to get in the fight, who feels uh, like he has the the sort of intestinal fortitude to pick up a gun and participate. And. I that that changed my impression
0: of him in the early part of the movie. Well, at least we did have him in the last minute saying to Jimmy before he got out. uh, Give me a gun. Give me a gun. Yeah. Which at least made it sound like, okay, he's he is a weapons manufacturer. He must know how to use weapons, even though he is kind of this this rich playboy. He's like a prima donna kind of gigolo. Right. So there's a sense that there's some of that, but you don't, because you don't see it, it makes you feel like this guy is, you know, he's probably not going to be able to hold his own, right? He's probably, that's probably just more for defense and he's probably going to run and just have a gun to defend himself if something happens. But uh, yeah, we really see him jump into the offense position, which is pretty interesting.
1: Well, and I wonder what that does. Like uh, this, this I think would be a, a, a real heartache of a sequence to cut, right? To edit. Like sitting in the booth and trying to come to the rationale behind what you want the the characters moves on screen to say to communicate uh, and what you're going to cut of this action sequence. Uh, to actually communicate that because it changes, you know, again, speaking for me, it changes, uh, you know, what we think of Tony Stark. Is he a weapons manufacturer who's afraid of getting his hands dirty? Therefore, the overall narrative of the film is him coming to terms with actually getting involved in the fight and, and bringing the fight to the bad guys and getting his hands dirty? Or is it the story of a guy who was already equipped to get his hands dirty? That's why he's in this, business and the transformation is one of him from bad guy, uh, you know, I say that in heavy quotes, bad guy, weapons
0: manufacturer to good guy, uh, weapons destroyer. It does uh, change the impression quite a bit. And it's interesting because I I feel like the deleted scene, it's it's really kind of an extended scene. Um, Right. Uh, it's a much slower pace. It's interesting how the scope is so much bigger. Like you're seeing a lot of soldiers running around. You're seeing a lot of gunfighting between people. Like you mentioned, we're meeting Rhodey for the first time um, in this in this. It would have been the first time in this minute if it had stayed this way. And so um, so you're getting this much bigger scope. And I, and I can see why maybe they wanted to just tighten it up because they wanted to get uh, get into the um, the moment that we have later in this minute much quicker. But on the other hand, I'm like, I, I feel like the way that they ended up cutting it, we are so close and tight with Tony through the duration that we don't get this full sense uh, full scope of the war. It's just very much an isolated uh, story of this man caught in this this situation that he doesn't know how to handle. And it ends up biting him in the ass, basically. And I think that ends up being a much stronger way to actually have the entire scene play out as opposed to the extended version. Where it picks
1: up after the extended version, the cut is, you know, it's to him running and jumping behind the rock. uh, And then he sees the the bomb with Stark Industries on it, or he does the phone bit and he sees the bomb. So all of that picks up in the theatrical sequence. And so then he stands up and he gets he gets
0: blown up. He gets blown up. Yes. We have to go back to this phone though. This is the LG V, uh, VX 9400. A, uh, it is a phone that actually had come out just the year before. Um, I think right, uh, sometime in, in 2007. So this had to be for the time that this movie came out, like new technology that none of us had seen before. And I feel like when I saw it, I remember going, Oh, that's a really funky phone. Right. Because nobody had actually seen this thing before. And it seemed like something that, uh, that, Tony Stark would be using. And at the time, it was one of the first phones, first two phones on the market to support live mobile TV broadcasts. So I guess to that end, it makes sense because it's something that is a very cutting edge technology. And of course, Tony Stark is going to be the one who's using it,
1: which is interesting because your assumption is it do we ever see it branded? Like I don't think we get as I'm scrubbing through the the minute we never see that there's a logo on it. We'll see more of this phone. Okay, and so that will see that is a product phone. placement question. Like how you know how how much value was the product placement in this movie for that phone? Because I look at it and I did not make an assumption that that was a phone that we could go out and buy. I thought that's a phone that was invented by Stark as some sort of a military communications device.
0: Oh, interesting, interesting. Right?
1: Isn't that? I mean, I should have knowing you know the era in. which which we live, I should have absolutely made an assumption that that was a thing I could go by, and that it was product placement. But I never
0: did. Yeah, interesting. That's, uh, but it's true because it is one of those funky things that you look at in a movie with all this technology, and you go, "Oh, it's something Tony invented." Right. I can right, totally see that. Right. Now, what did you think? So we see this bomb land. What did you think of the the crazy crash zoom that we have into it to see Stark Industries logo on the side?
1: Uh, well, it felt very dated to me, and it felt like it was it was making a a stylistic choice that felt a little bit out of place. Do, do you know what I'm saying? Like it felt it, it felt a little bit a uh, cheeky, if if that's a word that I would
0: use. Cheeky is exactly the word, and I feel it is John Favreau's way to kind of throw a nod in to uh, Sam Raimi. Who had done the first three Spider-Man movies because it feels like a total <laughs> Sam Raimi camera. <laughs> that's a great move. connection. I mean, it's, it's exactly yeah. what he. I mean, you watch the Spider-Man trilogy that he did, and that that sort of crash zoom stuff. I mean, even in his other films, I mean, it's just oh, all yeah. over the place. And I saw that, and I'm like, oh, that's totally a tip of the hat to uh, to Raimi. That's it. No, <laughs> that's beautiful. That that's a beautiful comparison to an homage. Yeah, exactly. It's very funny.
1: Then the thing blows though, and I got to go back to the Swiss cheese in the in the truck because he sh- this is where you know you feel like tony should have been torn to pieces in the truck but he comes out a, a whole man and then it's this bomb that actually uh that actually does him in and it it almost it's a not it's not a small
0: explosion for the size of the bomb it is though it feels like it should be much bigger you're right yeah considering it's (laughs) this missile well and considering i mean we haven't seen any other stark weapons blow up yet yeah maybe it's because i mean it doesn't blow up right away so at first you think maybe it's a dud Mm -hmm. and maybe that's an element to it not exploding as big as theoretically it should have yeah i guess yeah it should have it should have yeah i but it is uh it is still a lovely explosion and uh, you do have to wonder i mean as we see the shrapnel like the the blood kind of uh come through his chest through and then he pulls his his shirt open yeah. and i love the reveal that he's wearing the the uh, bulletproof vest under there because it just seems like he's already wearing armor of some sort and it didn't help
1: it didn't help him at all right and and it was likely you know stark armor right that couldn't uh, couldn't protect him from his own stark weapon
0: oh back to the drawing board exactly but it does make me wonder it's like that's that's you know he got nailed by that thing and and it's going to, you know, injure him and it's going to put um, little pieces of metal in his chest and as we know uh, from the comics that's what uh, kind of causes him to build this, this suit in the first place. Um, but it's mm-hmm. amazing how specific it is to where it hits him, right? There's nothing on his face or his arm. It's just like <laughs> it's exactly, you know... <laughs> You know, you you understand if somebody shoots you and the bullet hits your your bulletproof armor. Um, yeah, because it's one shot. But here is this explosion shooting shrapnel everywhere and it all just conveniently hits his chest.
1: That's it. And and this is important because the shot we get immediately before that, it, the impact of the explosion throws Tony backwards and the camera is behind Tony. So we see him. All we see is the is Tony's back. He's pushed up into the air and in and on the other side of Tony. It it's not just like a compression bomb, right? It is a fireball, and there isn't a bit of scorch on Tony. He is unscathed in terms of of actual fire damage. But that's the damage I would have expected, given that if that practical effect. And and so weirdly, I've never thought about it, uh, it until you make me watch this one minute at a time. <laughs> but that that the choice of that effect does not work for me. It felt like it should have been more of a a billowing shrapnel kind of thing instead of that giant sort of gorgeous orange fireball.
0: Yeah, although I will say just to have that gorgeous orange fireball blowing up with him between us and the fireball it's a great visual. <laughs> it, it is, is a, a great really nice visual. visual. But yes, I totally understand. Like, where is the the singed? Even some singed clothing would have helped me. Believe just, it Just more. take his eyebrows off. Maybe just the eyebrows.
1: <laughs> you
0: know? He didn't need those anyway.
1: He didn't. He's in the mask all the time anyway. You know, I mean, I'm not talking about like, it's not like I want a complete Deadpool kind of facial treatment, right? I, I really just <laughs> want, I just want to note, that the effect doesn't meet doesn't meet the standard of the damage.
0: Right, I, I think duly noted. I
1: would duly say. <laughs> noted. I feel much better about that. Uh, can we talk a little bit about the camera?
0: Yes, yes.
1: What did you I, and and does it make sense to talk about how the camera was utilized here uh, in the context of the deleted scene or the extended scene? Do you get the same sort of a, a feel in the theatrical? sequence
0: well it's a very you know matthew Libatique is the uh cinematographer here and uh i mean he's he's been a great indie cinematographer and has done just a lot of fantastic films um and i I can't remember if this is one of his first mega studio films but he certainly is a filmmaker or is a cinematographer who i've been enjoying since I, i i think since he was working with darren aronofsky back in uh uh, some of his earlier films, and just the work that they would do together. I, I think seeing what uh, Libatique did here is, I mean, it's it's solid work. And I, I think that it's it's a very wartime sort of cinematography. We went from inside the Humvee, pretty standard stuff, to very shaky cam, kind of that handheld wartime, you know, we're a documentary crew running around following you sort of look. And yes. I think in terms of what they're capturing, I think that It ends up making sense,
1: and and it's unique for these sequences. It's a unique sort of treatment that is not necessarily consistent throughout the uh, throughout the film. Once we get into kind of superhero mode, you don't get the same kind of sequence. You know, later in later instances of straight up war, that handheld shaky cam. It feels like we're right in it and not sort of one level 1 superhero level removed and i think that's that's really interesting
0: more gritty well and it'll be an interesting thing to um, to look at as we progress through the film yeah. to see if we can point out oh there he's back at it again you yeah know?
1: well and you mentioned the reveal of the bulletproof vest um you know there's this the crane shot that you know we we start in a medium shot of tony as he opens his shirt and you see the vest there and it pulls up and that's the the like touch by an angel shot you know it's
0: like the, <laughs> right you know oh his soul is leaving his body exactly and uh, and so it's a it's an interesting little visual cliffhanger it is it, it's a nice little moment and and it looks like as he's called Maddie. Maddie Lubatique ends up working with Favreau quite a bit after this. He does Iron Man 2. He does Cowboys and Aliens. And then, of course, he's still jumping uh, through all of Aronofsky's films. And actually, it looks like he just shot Venom. So that'll be something to uh, to look at uh, and see how that film plays out with uh the uh, cinematography
1: I, i'm telling you man every time i see that like this is another notch on the board of the things that make me curious about venom i think it's i think we're supposed to be uh nervous about it but i'm, I'm curious <laughs> this
0: this helps i'm nervously curious i guess we'll just put it there yeah right. by the time this is released it will have come out we'll all know it will <laughs> we'll <will> all know <laughs> that's right our regrets may be uh.
1: Uh, uh, on display let's talk just a little bit about sound design because we get a little uh, we, we get a little bit of vibration uh, hints of tinnitus that may uh, you know and i haven't read any of the uh, comics around this but i'm hoping that maybe you have some background That that will help me understand Tony better and how the sound plays into that in this minute.
0: I don't think it actually comes up at all in the comics. It's not something that they play with. I mean, it's a comic. It's hard to play with sound that much. But what we do get here is that filmmaker technique when after Jimmy dies and all those bullets hit, you the sound kind of drops low, and you just get that kind of humming sound which is always uh, a filmmaker's way of saying, you know, you've just experienced a bomb, and this is what you're hearing mm-hmm. now. And I think it's kind of a, a, a fun thing to play around with. And then we get a little bit after that, a uh, bomb blows him up right at the end also. It's kind of that uh, that fun way to play with the sound design. But I, it's not something that that really is a, a Tony Stark issue that he ever deals with um, in the comics, at least that I've read.
1: You know, I had made an assumption that that was a nod uh, from the comic lore, that I it would make me uh, have a more rich experience if I understood, but uh, that's, that's interesting.
0: Yeah. I think it's just, it's just filmmaker technique, you know, just throwing in that sound design. Yeah. Um, Because I think it, it, what it does is it puts you into the, the character's head a little bit and you're kind of there with them as they're experiencing uh, that sound. And it makes you feel like you're there with that sound. And so I think that's uh, largely what it is. And it's, it's effective. I've always found that to be an effective um, uh, tool filmmakers can use with their sound design.
1: Any other nods to the comic that we should know to make this a better experience? If not hearing, then what,
0: Andy? Well, I will say that the, this is the moment where Iron Man, or I should say where Tony Stark is captured by... Uh, enemy forces and they are going to lock him up and and put him in a situation with with yin sen where they build the suit and kind of create iron man that's what happens in the comic book but in the uh in the um comic books of course it takes place in vietnam and it's a totally different group of enemies that capture him and in the comic books, he is just kind of walking through the jungle, and he's been doing tests with with troops and all that sort of stuff, and he's just kind of walking, and I, I feel like he's kind of walking in a group, but kind of not paying attention, and he's not sure where he is, and he trips a trap, and uh, the enemy captures him. It's much less gratifying uh, granted it's you know a 1960s uh, storytelling style but this is just much more exciting for the time and um, and plus it puts you into the situation and puts him into the situation and I, I found the bomb the explosion working much better here because I think it's like one of those traps where he kind of trips a wire and it, and it blows him up and they and they catch him that way and you know it's it, it's fine it's effective but this is a lot more exciting yeah yeah to to put it very generously <laughs> uh anything else for this minute
1: i don't think so i'm uh, i'm eager to move on to the next minute uh if only because uh i'm i'm feeling a little shell shocked i th- i think it's time to get us uh, get us into the cave.
0: yeah it's i mean we do uh you know we'll save it for the next minute but at the very end of this minute we see tony um he has a hood pulled off of him and we hear some some kind of uh, echoey urdu and uh, and uh, but we'll save all that for next minute. So with that, everybody, uh, that's it for today's show. Thank you for tuning in. Make sure you subscribe to the show for free at marvelmovieminute.com. Join us over on our Discord chat room and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at the Next Reel And if you like what we do and want to support us and get some cool stuff, become a patron over at patreon.com/slash the Next Reel And that's it. We're signing off until next time, True Believers.